Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome. It's great to be with you. It is indeed a Monday. I had a moment there where I thought it was a Tuesday on a Monday. Ooh, that was a little relief. <laughs> Joining me today is Dr. Christine Bacon. She's known as a relationship doctor, and she gets it when it comes to relationships. She spent four years separated from her own spouse after much healing and really being an expert in this area over the years. She is key in giving us skills to effectively communicate with one another, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Today, communication. We're going to talk about overcoming dirty fighting techniques with Dr. Christine Bacon. And we're also going to dive into understanding the differences between the male and female brain when it comes to communication. If you have a question about communicating, we'd love to take your question with Dr. Christine Bacon. The number is 888-914-9149. Dr. Christine Bacon, welcome to Trending. Thank you so much. It's so, You're so cute. Exciting to hear it. I bet you have a husband, and I bet you want to know all about his brain, don't you? <laughs> I would love to. I love diving into male-female differences, and it's so relevant in the 21st century with everything surrounding us and the debate and the culture surrounding yeah. gender. And I think maybe that's even why it's more difficult in relationships today when we have kind of two generations trying to say, well, there aren't a whole lot of differences between us. But we're going to get into those gender differences here in just a little bit. I'd like to start out with talking about the nitty-gritty of dirty, fight, dirty fighting techniques. I know you do a lot of seminars on this. What are some of the most common dirty fighting techniques you come across? Well, I, it's so funny that you ask because I just want to say first, when I teach this in my seminars, I say, how many of you use dirty fighting in your marriages? And most people don't raise their hand. You'll get, you know, three or four people that'll be honest folks and say, well, yeah, every now and then. And then I put out this list, which has about 14 different dirty fighting techniques in it. And as we go through the list, I describe what it is, what it looks like, and then check the box if you've ever used this. And inevitably, I have never had a class where every single person in the class hasn't checked off at least one, but most people check off at least two, three of them that they've used. And so the, the first thing about it, Timory, is being aware that we use dirty fighting because I don't think many of us want to. Um, and then once you know that you're using it or what is a dirty fighting technique, how do you counter it? Mm. And I'm sure just in you saying that when you said, you know, not everyone kind of realizes they're using them. I'm sure I am. I know I am. I just don't necessarily know what those labels are to kind of see the red flags necessarily. You know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, don't use you statements when you're having a conversation. I know that's key. So what are those common techniques and what are some of the worst ones that we tend to fall into? Okay. So one that I know that most people use is called um, using family so when your spouse says to you, you're just like your father or you're acting mm. just like your brother, you know that when your spouse says that to you, that they're not referring to something good. 
in your father or your brother. I know my husband and I, okay, so I'll confess, right? We've both used that one. And when my husband says, you're being just like your dad, it would be insulting because I love you, daddy. I know he might be listening, but my dad is, uh, you young folks don't know who Archie Bunker is, but he was from it, the I all do. in the family. <laughs> okay. So Archie Bunker is a sarcastic old man. And and my dad was a, a lot like that. And so when my husband would say that, it would instantly... So what dirty fighting te techniques do to Marie is they put you on the defensive. So when that happens, instead of going to the issue at hand, you instantly start defending. Oh, yeah. Well, my, you're just like your brother. And, you, and so I think people... Let's cut people slack. I'm going to say most people aren't using it so that they can attack their spouse. But they are saying, I want you to see these similarities between you mm. and your dad. This is what your dad does, Christine, that you hate so badly and you're doing it. Mm. But naturally, it does put us on the defensive because I don't want to be doing those things that my dad does. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or projecting to sometimes where maybe a spouse might say something of, well, you're only thinking this because you're thinking of maybe a wound from your family as well. Well, you just hit one of the other dirty fighting techniques. It's called mind reading. Mm -hmm. You're just doing that because you're just saying that because. And your your spouse is saying, you don't know why I'm saying that. Oh, no. No, I know why you're doing that. You're doing that because you thought that you could just get me and you could do blah, blah, blah. Again, if I'm doing that, then all of a sudden my spouse is thinking, well, you know, you, you don't know why I'm thinking what I'm thinking. And, and then here we're going. We're deflecting off the issue at hand. And it's just completely counterproductive. So anyway, we need to stay on the issue. Can I say before we kind of go into more of these, what I usually go through with people is this, what I call the conflict escalation model. So the comp just picture a stair step. And on the bottom step, it says the issue. So this is the issue level. This is where we want to stay to resolve problems. And if we don't, we sometimes escalate it up to the next step, which is the personality issue. Mm. And it's on our personality level. And on that level is where I'm attacking you personally, your personality. And then the third level says relationship. And if I attack you so many times on the personality level, eventually it destroys the relationship. So it's we can try to de-escalate. And my husband and I, as you said in your intro, we had a very horrible marriage in the beginning, especially after I left and we reconciled um, because we never learned how to redo these things. But we did, in fact, learn how to de-escalate. But I really try to teach people in their classes that it's so much better if you don't ever get to that level in the first place. So I try to teach. I love when I teach my premarital couples. Here's how to stay on the issue. Okay, mm. Danny, I was upset when you came home. When I opened the mailbox and I saw that there were three NSF forms for bounced checks. I thought we had enough money in the bank account. So it's a tough issue. We got to talk about it. I'm not attacking my husband, but I'm saying I, w I was upset when I saw this. What, what's going on? What's happening? But in many of our lives, instead, we go straight up to that personality level, which is, what the heck is wrong with you? You told me you were balancing the checkbook, and now I'm looking at these darn NSFs. Didn't you ever pass math when you're in high school? You, you know, so... We make it personal. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So you teach a conflict escalation model. I love that ladder you just mentioned where the baseline is the issue. You go up, suddenly start attacking the person, and then it just starts to eat away at the relationship. How do you keep focused on the issue? Because, I mean, I'm just thinking we're going to talk about female male brain things later. I think men are usually better about staying on the point and women tend to gather in all these other elements into the debate often. And, you know, the woman keeps nagging. The man tends to shut down. Again, we're talking about generalizations, but it tends to be a model that occurs. How do you keep that conflict from occurring and de-escalate to focus on the issue? By education. You have to start with just the conversation that you and I are having. The fact that, okay, guys, did your family have good fighting? Did your family have bad, or I shouldn't say fighting, uh, conflict resolution? Did your family handle it well or did they handle it poorly? Because you're more likely to handle it like your parents did. My parents didn't do so well, and that's why my husband and I didn't do so well. And so awareness is the very first thing that I'll tell people. But a lot of times when they come to me, it's because they've already screwed things up. And so I said, well, th that's okay. Now when you know what these dirty fighting techniques are, I want you to go home and I give them this handout and say, I want you to check up all the dirty fighting techniques that you've ever used. So it's timing, overgeneralizing, gunny sacking, asking why, so on and so forth. And then you always have to give people homework. So whether I'm doing it in a class or whether I'm talking to a couple one-on-one, -on -one, I say, which one of these dirty fighting techniques is hurting your marriage the most? And then I make them circle it. And, you know, again, if you're talking to a girlfriend or something saying, you know, I heard you, you're really pulling rank a lot with your spouse and that's not good. So awareness is the first thing. And then getting them to say, commit to using that dirty fighting technique less often. You never want to say never, never again, because then when they fail, because we're human, we're going to make that mistake. Then they feel like, oh, see, see, you said you're never going to pull rank again and you just did it there. So saying, so then the next step I teach is the ability to go to your spouse and say, you know what, honey, I promised that I would not use pulling rank and I did, can I have a do-over? And so practicing it will help them to not do it as much. So awareness is the, the beginning. I have to let people know what they're doing is in fact dirty fighting and then we go the next steps. Did that answer the question or did I go too far around it? Yes. Yeah, so it sounds like we need to educate what are our normal modes of operation with regard to conflict, family of origin, what are the different types of techniques under dirty fighting, and then how can we start to resolve to change that? So you mentioned just a moment ago timing and generalization. Can you just tease a few of those out a little bit for yeah. know, all of us to figure out which ones are dirty fighting techniques? Yeah, so I'll ask you on? because you're a human and you probably make mistakes. So the thing about dirty fighting, too, Tamari, uh, is that you it's not necessarily just with your spouse, right? So even if you're married, not married, I'd love for the listeners to kind of quiz themselves as we go. So timing is choosing a time to argue when the other person least expects it or when he or she's unable to respond. So like they're doing a project or they're just walking in or out the door, it's late at night or they're tired or you find your spouse in the garage working on a vehicle or whatever. It's like, hey, we got to talk about this such and such. It's like, hey, I don't have time to talk right now. Yeah, but we need to talk about it because I'm really upset. Blah, 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 blah. Right? So timing is a, is a dirty fighting technique even if the person doesn't think so. We'll talk a lot about personality, uh, gender, you said, but extroverts tend to do that more often than introverts because extroverts tend to want to get conflict off of their chest immediately to resolve it. Introverts always almost always need to think first and then speak later. So timing is is a dirty fighting technique. So choose a time when it's good. What I'm going to do is go quickly unless you slow me down. Is that and yeah, you ask questions? Yeah, keep going. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So the next one is overgeneralizing. You're always late. You never put the toilet seat down. You know, things like that. I'm sure I've never said that before. Um, <laughs> when you use always and never, it distracts the other person into discussing the overgeneralization rather than the issue. So it's like, just just last week, I did such and such. Or back in 1983, I, you know, and so they come to these examples of the time <laughs> when they actually weren't late. And so if you just change that to saying, I forgot to say this with timing, by the way. So, hey, honey, is this a good time to talk? That's a good way. For overgeneralizing, I tell people, change your language. Change it to, you know, you frequently leave the toilet seat up. Or um, I get frustrated when you're late because it's happened, you know, three out of the past four weeks we've we've left for church on Sunday. So trying to kind of bring it down and give the person credit for, okay, it's not always, but it's enough that it's it's a conflict for us. Mm -hmm. um, a third dirty fighting is gunny sacking. That's listing all the problems you can think of past or present, and that, that'll overwhelm the other person. They, they, they can't focus on the issue on, at hand because now all of a sudden you've spat at them every issue that you've been building up. And I'll, I'll tell you something about this. Introverts tend to do that more than extroverts because, as I said earlier, extroverts, when they've got an issue, they spit it out. Introverts want to hold it in and they want to hold it in because they love you, they respect you, they don't want to fight. But boy, when it gets built up, it's like a volcano. Oh, you did this and you did this and while we're at it, you did that. So gunny sacking is not fair because mm -hmm. if you're mad today about those NSF notices for bounce checks you got, stick to the issue at hand. I'm frustrated about these bounce checks. What can we do differently? Mm -hmm. um, I already talked about asking why. Polling rank. This is kind of fun because... I don't think we understand that we pull rank as much as we do. So it's the definition is enhancing your status at the other person's expense. Can you give an it example? Takes, I will. Um, I think when we think about pulling rank, um, I have a couple where the husband was 10 years older than the wife. And when they were raising children and they own, they had their children together, the husband would say stuff like, um, I'm 10 years older than you. I think I understand better how to do this or that with, with the child. It was very unfair mm -hmm. because the husband didn't have any more experience raising children than did the wife, even though she was 10 years younger. But the rank he was pulling was age rank. We'll have some, now what you'll see a lot are, I make the money in the house. So when you make the money, then you can tell me how to spend it. Mm. That happens way more than it should, especially if we want to have a traditional family where one spouse goes and works and the other spouse raises the children. Typically, the husband goes out because that's why God made our brains. Uh, the male brain is wired to provide and protect, um, which is great if you value the wife staying home. But don't throw that in her face. Well, I make the money, so I'll tell you how to spend it. Um, some more um, minor ways. It's a funny one I use an example of. I suck at cooking. I'm very horrible at it, and my husband's very good at it. And so... Um, I clean, he cooks. And I remember this one time we were making, I don't know, lasagna or something. And I was like, oh, why don't you use this spice? This might add to it. And he goes, uh, who's the cook in this house? I think I know what to add to it. Now, he wasn't trying to start a fight. But I go, oh, 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 that's pulling rank. You just pulled rank on me. And we both kind of <laughs> giggled. But but that was an example. Had I not been a good headspace, mm -hmm. I might have been offended by him doing that. But so if we understand, one of the ones that I have confessed to the Lord about is 
I have a PhD in communication. And I'd like to say that I've stopped doing this every now and then this nasty little dirty fighting technique will come out, but where my husband and I will have a fight and he didn't say what he meant to say, or he didn't say it properly. And he'll say it was my fault. And I'll say it was his fault. And I'm like, look, I'm the one with the PhD in communication. I think I know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> Not a good thing to do, Timory. <laughs> well, I appreciate even the story you shared where you guys were able to laugh about it. You recognized in that moment when, you know, there was a frustrating moment that you were able to laugh like, oh, that's pulling rank. Okay, I'm seeing the signs where I'm having this communication and this could be a big, I think, inflammatory word that is used and we start arguing. Instead, I can see, oh, let's de-escalate. And you de-escalated, yes. right? You pointed it for what it yes. was. You didn't name call. And I think You're pretty that's good so at this. Key. You knew about de-escalating. Yeah, I think that's so key in communication, Dr. Bacon. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Dr. Christine Bacon. She is a rela the relationship doctor, and she is helping us with effective communication skills and marriage. We're going to come back with Dr. Christine Bacon. We'll take your questions and also unpack understanding the male and female brain when it comes to communication and those differences. She does have a book out. You can check it out. It's called The Super Couple, and you can find her at drchristinebacon.com. That's dr christinebacon.com post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes for today's show so be sure to check her out in that book again we'll be right back with the relationship doctor talking about male and female differences the brain and how it starts early on in the womb and leads to communication style differences you're listening to trending with timory where you can discuss what matters most to you Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. The relationship doctor, Dr. Christine Bacon, is with me today on Trending. She is here to help us effectively communicate. We're talking about overcoming dirty fighting techniques. So if you missed it, be sure to grab the podcast head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending after the show to grab it or wherever you listen to your podcast. We're taking your questions having to do with communication. So the number is 888-914-9149. You can also ask that question now on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Dr. Bacon has shared in her own testimony that she gets it. She spent four years separated from her spouse. They were able by the grace of God, and through effective communication and learning skills uh, to reconcile their marriage. And I appreciate that side of your testimony, Dr. Bacon, because so many people struggle in their marriages. There are different points that we know of in seasons that are harder than others. And we need to hear those words of encouragement, the hope in the midst of despair or seemingly impossible situations. I will recommend the book, Impossible Marriages Redeemed, edited by Layla Miller. We'll post a link in the episode notes if you feel like you're in an impossible situation. But what I want to dive into now, Dr. Bacon, is understanding the differences between the male and female brain. I was thinking about this the other night as I was talking to my husband. He, I was putting the girls to bed and I came downstairs and he had so wonderfully been cleaning the whole kitchen and he was just about wrapped up. And we had one of those male-female moments of disagreement. My mindset was, and looking at cleaning the kitchen, is that you could get the kitchen ready for the next day. And so I was thinking, you know, did this fork for the baby get washed? Because if it gets thrown in the dishwasher and it's not run, I'm not going to have what I need in the morning and all these different things. For him, he's thinking about cleaning the kitchen because he's doing it for me and he doesn't want me to have to worry about taking care of it. And so it's two totally different perspectives. Both of them or neither of them are wrong. Both of them are good. But it's one of those moments that I realized could be such a point of contention and 
argument if we don't have a moment to understand the differences between our brains and the good intentions that we have. And so when I was reading some of your work on the neuropsychological perspective of this and explaining it, it was so helpful. So let's dive in, Dr. Bacon. Tell me about the male brain and how it's already being formed in the womb to have key differences in how we communicate. That is such a huge question um, because our brains are the same when we're first starting out in our mom's womb. And I don't know when it is, and I don't know if science even says if it's six weeks, eight weeks, a month. But the let me tell you what the brain is like. So you have the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, and then you have the corpus callosum, which is the center part that divides the two. I always call that the freeway system that sends messages from the left brain to the right the right brain. So if you're thinking something that originates in the left hemisphere, it, it connects to something. So finances will connect to family, will connect to vacation, will connect to your exercise, and so on and so forth. Um, so all of our brains are like that, but in a certain point in the womb, the male baby gets a shot of testosterone that just submerges, bathes his brain and his body, and it singes the pathways in the corpus callosum, which is, again, responsible for sending those messages from the left brain to the right brain. So what happens, and again, more or less degree, I don't know if the, if the science says what percentage of men are because we're not all 100%, but the vast majority of men and the vast majority of women, this is true. So when the male baby gets this shot of testosterone and his left brain, for the most part, is not speaking to his right brain. And so men, therefore, are better suited, better able to stay on a topic. So if you say, honey, we need to talk about the finances and and say you're in the left hemisphere, which, by the way, I don't know which hemisphere you're in, right? But you're in the left hemisphere. Men are so very good at staying in that place. My wife said she wants to talk about finances. I love my wife. I'm going to talk about finances because that's going to make my wife happy. As soon as we're done resolving finances, I will check the block, check the block, get out of this, go back to doing whatever happy little thing I was doing and, and so on and so forth. So we start out talking, but for the female brain, n- never had that singeing of the corpus callosum. So a conversation might look something similar because remember, we women tend to be a little bit circular, which will confuse men. But every woman in the room is following. You know, they're going, yeah, I'm tracking. So <laughs> you might start out saying, okay, honey, we need to talk about the bills. Um, we got these bounce checks um, in the in the mail and I, I thought that we were doing okay. And and now I, I know that there's nobody in the savings, but I was thinking about vacation. Oh, by the way, I just booked the rental car for our vacation and I got a great deal on that. Did you know that if you're military, you can get 10% discount on, on everything from this rental agency? And it's like, I'm so glad you went into the military. Um, so um, when I was in the, remember when we lived in Yorktown and right, so you started out with finances and the girl's going here to here to here to here. And it's taking you all over the place. Now, as a female, you probably saw that that thread that pulled. And we can go right back to the finances or maybe not and come back to them in tomorrow and still pick up where we left off. And the men, remember, they're in, in like this uh, compartment. One author wrote a book. I think it was, uh, oh, I think her last name was Farrell, but she wrote a book, Men Are... Uh, men are like waffles, men are like spaghetti, or the other way around. Men are like waffles, <laughs> women are like spaghetti. Mm-hmm. And so the the waffles are, and the men go into this imaginary compartment, and they stay there. So the guys are like, wait, wait, 
Timory, are you wait, are we still talking about finances? Yeah, yeah, we are. And because the, let's say your husband, he loves you. He wants to please you. So he's like, oh, oh, okay, now we're talking about vacations. Okay, so I'm, I'm moving my brain. I'm in the next apartment, vacation. And then and then he's trying really hard to track with you. And then and then you're talking about that military discount. Wait, okay, wait. Oh, she must be done with that. Now we're go going on to that. <laughs> and so the guys are getting this overwhelmed. Their brain can only handle so much of flipping outside of box to box. It's just the way God made them. So it's one of the things I try to tell my couples in my classes is don't get mad at your men for being the way they are. Don't get mad at your women for being the way they are. That's the way God made us as a whole. Of course, it doesn't mean we're animals and see, God made me this way and I don't ever have to stop using dirty fighting techniques or I don't have, this is the way God made me. No, he also made us intelligent. So once I recognize that Danny, my husband, is more compartmentalized and you recognize that your husband is as well and he recognizes that, you know, I'm kind of making these connections. God is saying to us, okay, well, how do you use those two differences to complement one another? That's why, I mean, God is so funny, isn't he? He's like, oh, I'm specifically going to make men and women different, so they have to work at each other. It's like, oh, God, didn't you, couldn't you made a little bit easier? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but so the, the beauty of the male brain is that when you take him to a subject, he will keep us, he will have a tendency to keep us on topic. He will have a tendency to complete and fix that thing. Um, and women, God gave us this ability to make these connections, as I said. And so we can flip back and forth and, and help the men to see the connections that they may not see otherwise. So he has to humble himself as the head of the household and trust that his wife sees something she doesn't see. But then she has to humble herself to realize he's the head. He's going to direct this as much as I'm seeing more of these relationships. I'm, I'm going to have to trust that he's going to try to make the best decision possible. So I know there's a little slight uh, transition away from specifically the difference in male and female brains, but I do see that's why God did it. One of the reasons so that we have to mm -hmm. su submit to one, one another's strengths. Right. It's valuable. Valuing the other and the other person. I think that's sometimes what's so difficult. And that's what we love when we're in that romantic and wooing part of the relationship when it's new. And then you go through those seasons of engagement and marriage. And, you know, you have the ebbs and flows of excitement with, you know, babies and all these different things that occur. Yes. Uh, but in the beginning, what we desire, what was so attractive was what was other, what was different from us about the other person. And it was those male-female differences. And then I find that once in marriage, those tend to be the primary point of contention and the pull back and forth in seeing, you know, the simplicity of the intention of the husband in the honor, honoring the complexity of which there's a great amount of connection and input from the wife and focus yeah. from the husband. I appreciated how you, you know, kind of synthesized it down to that point because I think you hear a lot of things about male-female differences. You know, men stay in one compartment, come out the other, go into the next. Everything's separate from sex life to children to job, everything. Uh, but right. for women, there's a lot of connection. In some ways, I think we tend to think of, oh, that's great. Women can talk about anything and everything. Or women get overly distracted. You know, there are a lot of perspectives on this, but valuing that in the midst of things, I guess some of my question and looking at it is, 
how do we then apply this to communication? I know that you mentioned earlier that men are hardwired to be the sole providers. It's part of the reason why their brains are so linear. Uh, can you speak a little bit to that value for men in understanding that even when there are two providers in the home, how that's still such a primary part of who he is and how he functions in the relationship? Yeah, one of the things that I... <sighs> I have to struggle with in society because there is a whole feminist movement. When I was teaching at the university for over a decade and I was teaching um, communication between the sexes, the sad part is that the in this urban university I was teaching at, I, you would find that the women's study department was always trying to make <laughs> it sound like it was socialized. The brain was absolutely a ball of mush and everything was the, the way that you treated them. And so me and a couple others would stick with true science. And it's sad that we, we didn't let our syllabi get out, you know, because we would be bashed for teaching truth. So I would start the very first class with the structural and the hormonal differences between the Fantastic. male and the female brain. Absolute mm -hmm. difference. Scientifically shown, the male male's brain is, is different than the female's. So when you come into it... Um, let me, it's a little diversion, but it'll answer that question. So in terms of communication, I would divide my classes up. This is just lots of fun. I'd put the guys on one class, one side of the room and the girls on the other. Then I'd say, um, I want you to ask, and they'd have to write this down. Then I'd pose the questions after I had a whole list. Male, what are your number one question you want to always ask women, but you could never ask them. And then vice versa, women questions to men. So in class two, I'd read this whole list of questions that the women had for men and the men had for women. And the men's questions were always, um, why are women so emotional when they communicate? Why do women cry more? Why do women always have <laughs> feelings, emotions, cries, tears? And the women were always these opposite questions. Why do guys always not want to listen to me? Why do they get impatient? Why do they have to walk? You know, mm -hmm. why don't they ever cry? <laughs> so when I start off by talking about, okay, let's look at just two key parts of the brain. So the female brain, her amygdala, the amygdala, the emotion center in the brain, and science used to think there was one, but they're actually finding that there are two, the positive emotion amygdala and the negative emotion. But so amygdala, the amygdala and the female are wrapped around her verbal center. So when she feels anything, happy, sad, excited, devastated, disrespected, unappreciated, loved. She can name that emotion in 13.2 milliseconds. And she can name a whole slew of emotions that she felt, especially yesterday or that day you bought her those flowers. She's like, I felt this and then you did this and then I did this and I felt that and it was awesome. And she can articulate it. Hmm. But we wonder why the guys can't do the same thing. It's like, I, I want you to tell me what you were thinking. Why aren't you telling me? Did you not love me enough when I did this for you? And you can't. You said all you feel is fine when you ask a guy, how did, how did you feel on our wedding day? Fine. Okay. Well, all right. So to answer this question on communication, so the male brain, his uh, emotion center, his amygdala are wrapped around his spinal cord. Well, the spinal cord is responsible for physical actions. So when a male feels something, he cannot come up with the words as easily as a woman can. It, often he can't come up with the word at all. Like that just made me feel unappreciated. But what he'll do is his body will move. He'll like, you know, 
That's why I have in my anger management classes more men than women that are punching file cabinets or punched a hole in the wall or swung at something because when you feel it, ah, your body moves. Oh, it's a jolt. And so if we're thinking of communication, understanding, first of all, those physiological differences. So if I have an issue and I want to talk to my husband, I'm going to know that he doesn't want to sit and talk. He's going to need to process it physically. So I'll jump ahead to what you'll probably ask me. What's a, what's a solution to some of our issues? What I'll tell women is, even men, if you have something you want to communicate to or with your spouse, go for a walk. Because also in communication, you will notice in research studies, when girls communicate, they will make eye-to-eye contact. Girls will tend to sit in a circle and they'll look at each other. Males will tend to communicate shoulder to shoulder. So they'll do stuff. So when I have a husband and a wife that are struggling with an issue... I'll say, if you go for a walk, here's the good thing. You can talk, and you're talking and talking. He doesn't have to make eye contact with you, which makes him uncomfortable. Not that he's uncomfortable <laughs> with you, but, right. <laughs> but he can think, right? And his brain can be occupied with movement. His legs are moving, his arms moving, and so his emotion center is being engaged in terms of feeling what you're feeling because he's moving his body. And so you may find it saying, I love you enough that I know you're not like me, that, you know, me as a female, so I'll say to my husband, you're not like me. You aren't going to come up with the words. Let's go for a walk. I'm going to try to love you in the way you want to be loved. And then the same thing for my husband is like, oh, I hate talking because he doesn't ever know the right words, especially poor guy is married to a communication PhD, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. he, he tries really hard to communicate what he needs to. So if we're going for the walk, it helps him to process better. Not yes. that he's coming up with the words, but he's able to kind of think it through and then, well, he can process it better. It's just never going to be like a female's. It takes Does that some make the sense? pressure off for both sides too. You're being intentional, understanding an easier way for him to communicate. And you're also letting yourself off the, you know, hey, you can just walk in silence for a little bit rather than when you're facing, when you're face to face, you're expecting that immediate answer and it's overwhelming him. It's flooding him often yes. to be expected to so quickly give that answer or process what you're feeling or what he's feeling in that moment. Right. And he can't. Most men, the average man, cannot process what you're feeling. Most men do not have, they do not score high in empathy. But this is why men were made to go, here I I go with the feminist movement's going to call me sexist, but this is why males were (laughs) wired to go to war. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Males, because, you know, again, their brain, they can go to one place and shut off the rest. That's why a man can Mm -hmm. go to war and pull out a gun and shoot and do what he has to do. A woman who goes to war on the front lines, she's going to be thinking, oh, that person I just shot might have had a mom or a dad. Or It's just not the way that we're wired. And so, not that men don't think yeah. those things at all, but they're able to compartmentalize and see the purpose and see that linear step by step versus women are so much more personally oriented in those yes. connections they make to people. Yes. The man might think it later, but in the moment when we need him to react, he reacts. And that's why God connected his emotion center, adrenaline's coming right there to the the spinal cord. He's going to react. Come on, Mm -hmm. react now. Mm -hmm. So we need that. 
I have some interesting questions coming in about some of these male-female differences and about communication, but I do want to summarize really quick some really neat things that I just learned from you. Number one, understanding the amygdala, everything to do with communication, emotion, and the brain, that that's wrapped around for women, the verbal center, and how that's why we're able to better communicate our emotions and why we communicate more. Versus you said for men, the amygdala is wrapped around the spinal cord, which is why they're more oriented toward action and movement when processing and thinking and talking and feeling those emotions. So I love the solution. We can be more intentional, have our conversations when we go for a walk, if we need to address something. And this really summarized for me, Dr. Bacon, why it has always been so helpful for me. My husband and I do our best talking when we go hiking. I hear oh, the most yes. of his thoughts, his emotions, I mean, things, old memories, the best when we're hiking. And it's always so interesting to me to see what I learn of him and about him. I'm so in awe of the conversations that we have when we hike. And so when you say the solution is go for a walk with your husband when you need to communicate it something. Validates but it validates you. Aww. Yeah, but to have those moments to just walk and have those conversations in general uh, that are good, not just when we need to resolve conflict, right? Correct. Correct. That builds your relationship Anyway, just looking at studies between men and women, girls hang out, females hang out with other females, and their hanging out involves a lot more talking, going to a coffee shop, shopping, sitting, conversation. Males are playing pool together, playing video games together. They're swimming, they're running, they're, they're doing active things. And that's what they do with their best friends. And in, those, in the midst of them doing is when they might say, yeah, the, the wife and I aren't having such a great time. Say they're one or two or six sentences that they need to say. The other guy gets it, but they keep on doing stuff. And, and the males know how to help them process that emotion. So, yeah, I, I love what God did. Sometimes I look at God and I shake my head, but <laughs> <laughs> I know he knows what he's doing. He's making me work for the, the love I need to give and show. That's Dr. Christine Bacon, the relationship doctor. She teaches effective communication skills. Okay, we have a question that just came in over the phone. Um, the question is, how is the male brain wired to provide when the guys I meet don't want to work? Like, how, how is that contrast and how is that part of kind of this tug and pull for a man? I think part of the, that, that's a really, really good question. Part of that is so societal at this point. We have this concept that women can provide as well. And so men don't usually mind if their woman is providing, but they want to know that they can, that they can provide. Um, I'm sitting here trying to make sure I can do a succinct answer. Um, this doubt, just kind of thinking about what you just said, Dr. Bacon, that men are wired to provide. They're very focused on that. But I think in our culture, a lot of men are shutting down into that flight mode or just that chameleon, right? That pause, don't move. Because I think a lot of men think they're incapable of doing it. And I was thinking about this in a couple emails I received over the last few days of parents who were talking about their now adult children who in the current education system, we have this attitude towards zero tolerance with regard to boys and really kind of not understanding the differences between male and female, how many men wrote into me sharing about their sons who are now adults who were told by teachers, you won't equate to anything. You know, this very, I think, strong sense of shaming in the male-female differences uh, that have either, if the parents ignored that shaming that occurred with the child, they thrived. But for some boys, 
they were told for so long, you'll never equate anything. You need to be medicated. You know, something's wrong with you that some really started to flounder. And I think that's part of this attack on that feeling of being able to provide. There is, but there's also, it's even more insidious than that. Even if you don't get a, a direct negative message like that, but you're told men, any kind of masculinity is toxic. Yes. So I've done some videos recently where, you know, I say women don't, men don't know how to lead because women don't know how to follow. Men want to provide. And yet if they do, they're often, as you just said, shamed. It's like, I can hold the door myself. I don't need you to do that. <laughs> you, I can carry my own book. So we, I'm 58 years old. You sound like you're about adorable little 30 year old. But, um, <laughs> you know, in my generation, we were really told you be independent. You can. So we women were given these messages that we had to be independent. And these men who love us are thinking, oh, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to offend her. I'm going to let her know she can do it by herself. So one of the provision that I just did a video on this recently was men want to provide and women need the provision, not just financial provision, but emotional provision. We want to feel safe with you. And men want to make us feel safe. So they would likely, think about it right here. A man, if a bus was coming, the man is more likely going to push you out of the way and, and take his own life than if you pushed him out of the way and you sacrificed your life for the, the man, men would feel uncomfortable because it's just not the way that they're wired. They have to be the ones that provide safety for you. And it's going to sound like it's off the subject. I'll come right back. But did you know in terms of suicide, for instance, more women commit suicide based on relationship issues. Males commit suicide based on job loss or an inability to provide. That's not mm -hmm. something you teach people or train, but I lost my legs. I can't get a job. I, mm -hmm. I My wife, you know, makes... $300,000 and I only make, you know, $80,000. I, I can never keep up with that. So it really affects the psyche of the male. So again, just kind of to pull it back in, a man doesn't mind if his wife makes money as long as he feels that he's the one that's able to provide for her or that she can leave. There's actually marital issues, leave her job. There's marital issues um, attached to if the woman, um, oh, I just lost my, did you ever do that? Just lost my frame of thought there. Um, all the where time. was I going? <laughs> yeah, I know. I do it all the time. That's my female. But men... Ask I me another question. I'll come back to that. <laughs> but what you're saying is significant with regard to even looking at statistics with regard to men believing so deeply that part of their responsibility is to provide even when there are you know competing incomes or sometimes the wife is earning more than the husband that that desire that need to provide is so central to who he is it really is central um he he needs to be he needs to feel as if he's got what it takes i've, I've heard male speakers say a phrase it that way and i'm sorry if i'm not speaking all scientific my mom always tells me i speak too scientifically so i'm trying to try, trying to speak it my way but you know males just want to be able to provide the hormonally their brain structure and i know we don't have lots of time to talk about it but um Dr. We Christine Bacon, that's great. This is great. We're going to have to have you back on because you are giving such keen insights into the psychology of men and women in resolving conflict in a relationship, understanding the other. That's Dr. Christine Bacon. Find her at Dr. Christine Bacon online. We'll post a link as well on social media. We'll be right back here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. 
Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Here we are headed into the thick of the summer weather and enjoying the outdoors. I just want to encourage you, get outside. We're talking to Dr. Christine Bacon here on Trending about communication and how understanding male-female differences in communication is key and getting out and going for a walk to have, whether it's good conversations or addressing ones that are a little more serious or uh, disagreeable at times, but letting, of course, your spouse know that we're going to talk about something such as that. But here are some fun things to do to get outside this summer, whether it's just to have fun, build your relationship, enjoy time with your kids, enjoy the sun, whatever you need. Sometimes we need that little push to make it happen. And I know I have really been trying to schedule these things into my calendar to make it happen, whether it be going outside for a hike. I posted some photos on social media. We took my daughters out hiking for the first time since we've been back in California. And my daughter, my two-year-old, just insists on running around barefoot everywhere. It was a blast. We're also working on planning camping trips this summer and even simple things that we can do every day. Eating one to two meals outside. I really do try to do this with the kids. Going on a daily walk, I struggle. I feel like we go on a walk and the next thing you know, it's been a week where we go five days in a row. And finally, something fun and different to add in. And it doesn't just have to be kids present to do this, but planning a water balloon flight or maybe you recruit some kids to make you feel like not such a kid adult <laughs> to do that. But those are some things I'll be incorporating and working on over the next couple of weeks. And I'll be sharing more things to do outside because we need that encouragement and we need to carve out that time to have fun. Uh, the fun that we need in life that I think sometimes the summer months go by so quickly and we miss that opportunity to enjoy the outdoors. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I want to talk tomorrow here on the show, so you're going to have to stay with me. Former NSYNC singer Lance Bass, you may know him from the boy band era of the 90s and early O's. Uh, he came out sharing about his surrogacy journey, and he shared some really interesting things about how it was for him in bonding with his children he has via surrogate. He made some startling comments about how they wouldn't hug him or snuggle. They didn't want anything to do with him in many ways. We'll talk about that in relation to ship to surrogacy and the honesty about third-party reproductive technology, the impact on parents and the impact on the baby. So stay with me tomorrow here on Trending. I want to discuss now in the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, also known as the month dedicated to the Eucharist. Yesterday, we celebrated the Corpus Christi, the Feast of Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. We had an incredible procession through the neighborhood around our church yesterday, and maybe you did too. It's, I think, a really special day to take the time to go to a parish that has those celebrations, whether it's May crownings, Marian processions, Eucharistic processions. They really do have a positive impact on children, helping them to understand that public witness of their faith as well and public adoration at times too. But it kept making me think about Eucharistic miracles and how relevant these Eucharistic miracles are to us in the 21st century. We actually have a friend who's a priest and he's currently going through the process for a Eucharistic miracle that has occurred. And I'll be excited in the days and months to come to share with you a little bit about that. But right now, what I want to share with you is about a Eucharistic miracle that occurred in 
Mexico back in 2006. Uh, the fresh blood that four years later under microscopic analysis was still present through all of the research. It's fascinating. But how is this related to the Sacred Heart? Well, here's what's interesting. In many of the Eucharistic miracles or various pieces of research, such as with the Shroud of Turin, which is the burial cloth of our Lord Jesus Christ when he died, there are a lot of crossovers. Things such as always there's AB blood type for Jesus Christ. That's similar in the Shroud of Turin, the host of Lanciano in 700 AD, along with Tixla, Mexico, which is a Eucharistic miracle from 2006. Now, let's focus in on the Eucharistic miracle from 2006. All three of those scientific uh, things that we have scientific data on show an AB blood type. But here's what's interesting about Tixla, Mexico in 2006. So, to kind of set the landscape, when these Eucharistic miracles occur, it's not some Catholic researchers and scientists coming in to study it. No, it's looked at by multiple secular uh, external people away from the church to give a non-biased response. So this one from 2006, it took four years for there to be two studies conducted by eminent forensic experts. And they used different methodologies as well. When they looked at this particular Eucharistic miracle where we have the Eucharist and there's been, again, these moments where we recognize there's flesh, there's actual flesh, or maybe the host is bleeding. In this case, we're talking about blood that was on the corpus. And when they did this forensic, these two forensic studies, they found that the tissue from this Eucharistic miracle corresponds to tissue of heart muscle. And what was interesting in the forensic research is that the blood flowed from the interior to the exterior of the wound, which, just so you know, is physically impossible to manipulate or create, that this only occurs in a real wound, because this is what happens in a real wound. The blood flows from the interior to the exterior. Now, there's no study that shows cardiac tissue alive in any such condition as this. There's no example of this. Normally, tissue dies after about 48 hours, but this is separate, removed from the body, cardiac tissue that we saw from the Eucharist, from a host that you and I receive, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ in our mouths that we consume. This is a miracle where we saw the host was bleeding and this blood is coming from the interior to the exterior. While studying this, just over the course of studying it with two different forensic experts in two different studies in 2010, four years after the initial miracle in 2006, there was still fresh blood. It was there during the microscopic analysis where they did a microscopic penetration, seeing the flesh, fresh blood still under dry blood four years later. That's an impossible duration of freshness. That is a true miracle that we literally see in many of these Eucharistic miracles that it's cardiac, it's heart tissue. Jesus Christ himself is showing that he's physical, he's real, he has totally given his body to us. And I know it's a little morbid to think about sometimes, but today, in this month of the Sacred Heart, in this month dedicated to the Eucharist, as we celebrate Corpus Christi, it's a moment to ponder the tangible reality of Jesus Christ giving himself totally to us and accommodating us, stooping down to that great love we have to think about the gift of the heart, this idea of love. And that is Christ physically giving himself to us and even revealing to him to us himself 
through science, through these forensic studies that reveal the reality of the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, who became incarnate, walked this earth, and gave himself as a living oblation, a sacrifice for you and I to live a grace-filled life created to be united with him now in heaven, but ultimately in now on earth, but ultimately in heaven with him as well. So just ponder that Eucharistic moment as you can in your prayer this week during the month of the Sacred Heart. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Tuesday on Trending, I'll be joined by Dr. Ingrid Scope. She's an OBGYN and she's testified before Congress against abortion. She's going to join me to discuss abortion and the medical truth about it, facts about women and our health, why abortion is never a solution. So join me Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.